What is up, Hockey IQ listeners? I'm here to chat about our newest sponsor, Sensorina. Your brain is one of the most important parts of your body. Why not invest in a tool that allows you to train it? With Sensorina, athletes can gain a competitive edge using VR training. Players are able to go through a scenario thousands of times without having to step foot on the ice. No more waiting around for puck touches or perfect scenarios. Sensorina can enhance reaction time, decision-making, and multitasking abilities, making you the next MVP. I mean, if the LA Kings are using it, it's got to be good. With our promo code HockeyIQ, you receive $50 off an annual plan purchase. Head on over to Sensorina.com to check it all out. On the Hockey IQ podcast today, we bring on Matt Dumouchel. Matt, thanks for uh, making the time here. I, I know I caught you at a wonderful time getting your kids on the bus. Yeah, it's uh, normally a, a busy time for uh, for me at this time in, in the morning as we record, but uh, but they're they're already ready to go. They're good for me today. So uh, thanks for having me on, Greg. Great to see you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and you've got an excellent series on, uh, I forget what the exact series is called. I want to say it's like Hockey Factories and it's on development, uh, like hot spots around the globe. So it's it's really cool and I'm excited to get into that. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. So uh, you're right. It's, it's called Hockey Factories. I've been writing this with uh, the coaches site for uh, the last season and a little bit here and and it's been uh, an incredible opportunity to get a chance to to go inside some of the bigger clubs that you've uh, heard of in Europe and, and some of the more successful ones in North America and try to, to steal from them and what types of things uh, they do maybe differently or, or what they emphasize and, and how they focus on uh, on development. It's uh, very different stories. Every one that we've done from Shattuck St. Mary's, the first one, to um, the most recent one in Jurgarden in Sweden. We've done uh, Zug, Jungholder Mannheim, Frolunda, Jokerit, and uh, the Okanagan Hockey Academy in between. So uh, a little bit of flavor from from everywhere and a lot of uh, similarities, but a lot of differences too. Yeah, we'll have to uh, get the Chicago Steel and the University of Michigan in there shortly. <laughs> those those names have absolutely been thrown around. That's not, uh, <laughs> that's not uh, a, a mystery to us for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but uh, get us going here. I'm just curious, um, like, what is the overall philosophy before we like drill down into maybe some differences and similarities? You know, what's some overall like philosophies that are continually heard as you're looking at these places that are, are premier in their ability to develop players and coaches? Yeah, a lot of what uh, what works for them, or a lot of the, the difference makers. Funny enough, uh, when you when you first start kind of diving in, is, is all off the ice, um, and that's really the, there's a, a strong emphasis in the communication side of things through any different levels. The the organization itself, uh, making sure that in some of the European programs, the U20 group and uh, U20 coaching staff knows what the U9 coaching staff is doing, uh, knows how they're explaining certain drills, the verbiage they're using for particular plays or styles uh, so that everybody kind of understands that all the way through the line, that the verbiage and, and words that the U9 coach is using in practice is the same as the U11, and the U13, and the U16, and, and all the way up. So the players become familiar with that. And then it's the communication with the players themselves um, amongst the coaches and, and with the parents too, the, the explanation to the parents of 
of the plan and, and this is the program this is what you can expect from our program when your son or daughter joins uh, and uh, taking them through this development path just as much you know the communication is is the biggest part for for me and, and that kind of comes along with the alignment side of things as well which which you do see quite a bit with with these clubs is you know everybody like i said is using the same words they're using the same way to explain things they all believe in the philosophy it's you know what's on the front of the jersey and not on the back uh and and for you know a lot of these clubs that have gotten into this routine and things are are working really well for them uh it's the continuity of of that coaching staff a lot of this i think comes from the coaching side of things and, and starts with the coaches. Um, but when you have, uh, like as an example, in, in Yokerit, you've got a U13 coach that's been there almost 10 years. The director of coaching has been there almost 10 years. Um, one of the skills coaches, seven years. The U20 coach is, is going on his seventh year. So um, the the constant mainstays that are these, these coaches and the message that continues to come in, whether you're just starting out at a skating school or you're just starting to play with a stick in your hand or you know you're looking at uh, your name being listed in uh, the NHL draft names uh, it's it's the same messaging all the way through and the belief in the philosophy before anything else and, and that I think especially for for anybody in any group um, that you you'd see running minor hockey or, or junior hockey um, something I think everybody could do and everybody can steal and, and just be clear on on what that picture looks like I think that's a fascinating piece that you just mentioned and highlighted was the continuity. Like how many organizations have a coach that's been at the U9 level for 10 plus years? Um, you know, I, when, I, when I'm thinking back just now of anytime I've heard of something like that, it seems to be up in Minnesota where it's the guy who's running the rink and he's got the learn to plays every single year and it's been sure. there forever. Uh, but realistically, every coach feels like um, – wants to try to work with the highest level because, you know, that's the biggest prestige. That's the biggest mm -hmm. paycheck. I'm curious um, if there's incentives for those types of coaches to stay there, or that's just like the way that the culture is that you specialize in X age range, mm -hmm. How, you know, why is there such long continuity uh, with coaches? I feel like that's, that's gotta be a massive difference between many clubs. It is for sure. And and you're a hundred percent right. And there's a few different things around that. And, and kind of like you said, you know, of the of the prestige of of coaching the the U sixteens or the U eighteens or, or the U twenties and, and onward. You know, I, I would suggest with some of the programs in Europe, they'll start from the bottom and, and move all the way through. So um Jokerit again as an example, will have some parent coaches that start at U9, uh, and they normally have a, a coach um full-time coach or what they determine a full-time coach uh, by the end of the year or so. Uh, and they move with that group until they're the U13 level. So you're getting the same coach, you're getting the same experience all the way through those younger years. So you may have somebody that goes U9 to, to U11 to U13 and kind of stays in that window. But you look at uh, a program that we featured, uh, Zug in Switzerland, and they had just had uh, in that ownership change and that uh, general manager's regime, uh, they had had a coaching change at, at head coach. And one of the, the people that I talked to who was from North America and had played in, in Europe and, and experienced all of that, so it's kind of seen uh, two sides of the coin. So there wasn't the, you know, uh, push to, hey, I'm, you know, hopefully if I win, 
at U13, they'll see me for U16 and I can move up to U18. And, and before you know it, I'm working with the national team. And it's, it's not as much a rat race over there as it is here uh, in, in North America generally, where, um, like I said, coaches are trying to move up. Coaches are, are trying to, uh, to coach the better kids and, and to have their hands on that and to try to move up those, uh, those ranks. There's a lot of coaches that I talk to in, in Europe, and, and this would include Zug and uh, Switzerland and uh, for Lunda and, and Jokrit, where the win for them or the success they have for, for that is, is being one piece of that player's puzzle to send them along at from U13 into U15, ready to play at U15. And, and some of the success that these coaches see is, is simply in that they had 25 kids or 30 kids on their roster the year before and 25 to 30 of them are, are back the next year and, and continuing to play and continuing to love the game. So I think the, the expertise is something that is, uh, is uh, emphasized a little bit more as opposed to trying to, to climb the coaching ladder, um, where if you're really good at explaining how to play defense without the puck or, or uh, off the puck carrier, uh, or you're really good at explaining how to play offense without the pocket, creating space and time for your for your teammates. That's praised more than everybody just trying to coach U18 and and uh, have their their name around when when kids are looking to get drafted or scouts are coming in the building. And, and I love the thing that you just mentioned about like the definition of success is players coming back, loving the game, mm. and prepared for the next level. Um, as a coach myself, I can't think of a better compliment. Like all of your players had a great time. They all loved hockey. They're wanting to either continue playing an adult league even, or yep. come back and t- continue to love being around the rink. And then they're prepared for that next step, whatever that may be for them and what their goals are. So that's, that's awesome. Uh, it sounds like much more of a teacher's mentality where it's like, instead of teaching in school, you're teaching in hockey. Yeah, and and Scott May, who's the the general manager in the Okanagan Hockey Academy, I think said one of the great lines in the uh, in the, the the article about them was that they use hockey as the vehicle to develop the person, and and I think that's one of the great gifts that anybody that coaches at any level has access to is mm-hmm. is to be able to not just help develop a, a good hockey player, but develop a good person, and they can take what you learn as a coach on the ice or off the ice of time management, of handling adversity, of just having individual conversations with your players and, and what their interest is. Because I think that's something that, that sometimes gets missed in, in some of these programs, especially at the youth level, and especially when it starts getting competitive. And, you know, there's blacks, uh, black jackets in the stands and, and all of that stuff. Is that at, this, at, at some point, these kids are not going to be hockey players. Whether they play for the, in the NHL at the highest level possible, uh, you know, unless you're Chris Chelios, you're, you're probably not getting past 40 or 41 years old. So um, at some point, they're going to be regular members of society and not necessarily NHL players, or they'll play through your junior program and, and come out at U19 and, and, or U18. And that's it. They That's the end of their hockey until, like you said, they're, they're playing with their buddies and stuff. And now it's, how do you, uh, what have we created or what have we helped create for that person to set them up for success just in life? Um, will they be a good employee because they know how to manage their time? They know how to be organized. They're respectful. 
uh, you know, those types of things that you're looking for in anybody in the job market, you're also able to create as a coach in those players using hockey as, as that vehicle. So that's, I think, uh, a huge part of that and a huge mentality that, that I see. And this isn't just the European clubs. This is the one across the board that I think hit with everybody that I've spoken with so far is the, the making sure that you know we're we're going to create a good hockey player they're going to have a great hockey experience and wherever that takes them but end of the day they're going to be good members of whatever community and society they they join once once hockey's done yeah and i'll i'll echo that because that's something i've seen um is the the kids who develop like awareness of their surroundings and the situations and that maturity um tend to also be able to develop themselves much faster. So mm-hmm. like it's it's like a catch 22 where it just feeds on itself in a positive way for player and personal development. Uh, and they all seem to go together. And I'm assuming that's something that was seen as you're saying that every single program is like that. That's clearly something that anyone can steal is understanding we need to develop the person and hockey is the vehicle. Um, and, and maybe it's less on X and O's and more of eh, maybe we sit them for a shift after they've done something against team rules and help them work through adversity or, you know, set out a game, whatever it may be, yeah, yeah. or just do situations like my University of Akron. It's a club team and mm-hmm. we do life you before our Monday practices. So just bring in speakers yeah. from different areas of life. It could be a CEO one week talking about. Um, starting a company and not being an entrepreneur. Next could be a social worker talking about mm-hmm. his experiences. We've had guys that have been to Afghanistan, the, the whole nine yards. Um, I feel like that's been more to, instrumental um, to keeping players around and also developing the good quality people that leave your program and that make it proud. Uh, yeah. So it's awesome to hear that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, Okanagan Hockey Academy is a great example of that, and, and Shattuck would as well, in, in the sense that they can use that from from that education side of things as uh, as, as a motivator, and um, for lack of a better term, uh, a penalty as well if they're not um, representing the club or or pulling up their socks and, and working on both sides. Right, the student athlete thing is is very real in these high school academies, just like it is anywhere else. If the kid's not getting good grades, they get left behind from tournaments. If they're having problems with with school, um, you know, there, there's a pipeline there that they, they hear about it from the school. The school will let the hockey club know. The coach will have a conversation with them. The parents will find out. The parents will have a conversation with them. So uh, at some point, because of the communication, the pipeline that's been created of, of understanding through all of those sides of the triangle, the, the program itself, the coaches, the school, um, and, and the parents, the, those conversations are all had three or fourfold. And, you know, congratulations, great job on this, Mark. Or, hey, I heard that you, you were late handing this project in. Uh, you're going to hear that three or four times. And, and the kid very quickly learns he, he'd rather be patted on the back than, than scolded and have hockey taken away. So it's, uh, it's something that, that certainly uh, plays into those, those programs, too, because ultimately, like I said, the focus is on development, uh, player and person. You know, the, they want to make sure that that player has the best experience they can possible. But with the acknowledgement and the understanding that if, you know, the second they leave the doors of Shattuck St. Mary's, if for whatever reason they never play another organized game of hockey in their lives, uh, they're, they're coming out a better person than they went in. And, you know, at 20, 21 years old, they've got a lot of living left to do that, uh, that hopefully some of these tools they're learning on the ice and off the ice are, are what's going to propel them into great jobs and, and great careers and, uh, you know, 
financially support themselves and their families one day and you know take all of that stuff from from hockey and, and to be able to give that a gift as a coach um, that's uh, about as impactful as you can possibly ask for if you're creating uh taxpayers you're, you're doing it right yeah, you want yeah taxpayers for society <laughs> productive taxpayers exactly exactly <laughs> uh, and for the absolutely. clubs too i mean you know they're the, the benefit of that afterwards is uh, and, and we have kind of gotten into this conversation uh, a couple of days ago, um, a group of friends of mine and I that, that are involved in, in some minor hockey programs. And, you know, ultimately, we're trying to create the next generation of whatever team it is that, that you're with. You know, I'm the assistant GM of the Leanington Flyers in the Greater Ontario Junior Hockey League. The, the best thing we can do for some of these kids if we're able to get them D1, D3 scholarships, get them into to Junior A or or playing a pro level at some point is, you know, they return home one day and maybe they want to coach or maybe they want to invest as a sponsor, or maybe they want the, their, their kids goal one day because dad talks so much about his experience with the Leamington Flyers as he wants to be a Leamington Flyer and, and go to games and support the team. And, uh, you know, it, it becomes a, a full circle thing and all of that really, again, comes from something that's extremely easy to do. Uh, nothing I think we've talked about so far here, Greg, is is impossible for any minor program. And, and quite frankly, I don't think it really costs anything either. Uh, so there, there are things that, you know, all the clubs that, that I talked to, I was always impressed with the fact that none of these clubs are keeping anything they're doing a secret. Uh, they want this to get out because they think this is the best way to help minor hockey or develop junior hockey players. Uh, they want their their you know the Frolunda way to be copied uh, as much as you want to try to copy it because in one breath they think that their way is the best way to develop hockey and on the competitive side of things they don't mind that you're going to try to steal whatever Frolunda does because Frolunda is Frolunda and they'll find a way to do it better than you and uh, you know you can take whatever uh, uh, feedback or whatever. Uh, ideas they have and, and implement that into your program and if it makes your program better that's great but end of the day for Olinda is uh, you know, about as competitive as it gets and, and they're going to uh, find either a better way of doing what you just stole or uh, a completely different advantage entirely. The the secret is in execution that's why we give all our secrets away right because we know sure. really it's execution can you yeah. execute as well um, and there was something you, you kind of mentioned in your response there yeah. and, and I, I, it really stuck out to me was around the idea of like creating community, whether that be with the players or the parents, uh, the coaches, and just creating that community feel. Um, because realistically, you know, when we look back, why did sports clubs get founded in the first place? A lot of it was around giving back to the community or mm-hmm. finding a place in the community we can all go and cherish and share a moment together. Right. Um, I f- feel like that is much better. I, I was having a conversation uh, before the season with a high school team that was struggling to have numbers here. And, you know, they were talking about, you know, how do we get better? Do we do summer camps and do more ice stuff? And it was all about development. I'm like mm-hmm. thinking to myself, like realistically it's, you get more parents involved and then they tell their friends and they're enjoying it. And then it expands from there and you're building up this base of people who want to be more involved. And mm-hmm. therefore you can do a little bit more and have more of, that off ice drive and preparation and realistically we're all just trying to create memories for the players and kids like 
Why not let them play with their brother on the same line for a few games, you know, whatever that may be and creating these memories and community um, that is so important with these, with these clubs and academies and teams that I'm assuming that that comes through loud and clear that there's a sense of community within and then broadly, even without, with all the support base. You know, Yokerit uses the term community of coaches. Uh, they don't see themselves as a coaching staff. They reference themselves as a community of coaches. And, and in that sense, they've got a director of coaching. They've got support staff for some of the younger coaches. They've got support staff for the older coaches. But when they have meetings and when they discuss the Yokerit philosophy or their development model, whatever it is, like we said earlier, the U9 coaches in the room, and so is the, the head coach of the first team and, and everybody has the, you know, the level of comfort and the level of respect to speak up. This is working well for me. This isn't working well for me. What are you doing in your practice to do this? What are you doing for this? And, and even the conversations that I had, it was quite obvious that, you know, the U, uh, the U20 uh, coaches in, in Europe um, are finding some really interesting ways to, to either dumb down a skill or emphasize a skill using games that U11 coaches are playing just on a, a more adult scale. You know, they some of these uh, programs, when they first get started, and, and this is more so Europe than, than in North America, um, have skating schools. So the, there's competition in Europe, not like there is in Canada, uh, as an example of, of, you know, you you are a young Canadian, you play hockey at some point in your life. That's just That's just the way it works. Where in Europe, you've got, soccer you've got handball you've got other winter sports uh, that, that you'd find up in, in sweden and finland that are are massive so you know germany is a perfect example with john alder Mannheim. they have a skating school that they start at four years old and their hope is a certain percentage of the kids that go through skating school end up playing hockey and, and going through the the Mannheim program because they've got to get these kids so early or they're just going to play soccer. <laughs> so they, uh, you know, the, the emphasis is there for sure. But that's that's where that sense of community comes from. Is you know that they get a chance to, uh, and you, they, I think these clubs do a pretty good job of getting the older kids involved with the younger kids as well. So um, you know the U20 team comes out with the U9 team one year or one one day for practice or uh, attends one of their games and cheers them on and, and fist bumps them on and off the ice. You know you're you're now setting a goal for that. U9 kid that man I want to be like one of them these days you know one day you know that's nine years down the road for some of them and, and you know in that time the parents are invested because the kids invested the kids developing and the program is able to find some of these these better players and keep local as well I think is one of the other important parts of, of what we hear from these programs too is they they're not with the development mindset which has changed from the just finding the best player in, in Europe or the best player in, in country and come bringing them to their, your program um, most of these programs if not all of them are strictly looking within the community that they live in you know your garden does not want to have to go outside of stockholm to find players uh, zug can't go outside of zug to find players it's literally their program is built on the kids that are in their individual community it's not that big a community population wise so uh there's there's a great sense of community and there's a great sense of, of trying to get these kids to fall in love with the game early so that it's it's part of their their lifestyle uh, all the way through and, and that kind of builds in how the coaches communicate and, and how the players like you said parents 
get involved at, at that young level. I mean, you know this, I'm sure, just as much as, as anybody. Once once hockey or or a sport in general gets into the bloodstream, it, it doesn't come out. So there's, you know, that's that's gonna be ingrained in you and that's the the type of person that you are and and uh, you know, where you um, where you get to enjoy your your time and and where you are developing yourself as as a coach or, or as an adult dealing with younger kids and, and how to communicate with them and stuff too. So it, it's a it's a it's a circle. It's there's a continuum there for for all of that. And, and I think the important part that they emphasize in there as well is is that everybody has a voice at the table, um, but the philosophy is the philosophy. This is this is how we're going to play. This is what we're going to learn. You can chime in. You can share your thoughts as well. But the philosophy will be bigger than any individual player or any individual coach at the end of the day. Love that. I absolutely love that. Um, yes. Turning just slightly here. I'm curious about the differences uh, in development, maybe more so between areas like for example you mentioned that switzerland it was very geographic based can't really go out much further than where you're at um sweden sounds like you can take from a little bit further obviously in canada the united states uh, everything is pretty wild wild west open um so i'm curious um maybe some differences uh in the culture or the rules that drive differences uh between these clubs but either way they're still finding a lot of success. Yeah, I think one of the big takeaways from the, um, the European clubs, um, and I'm getting to location as well, because it's an interesting story. Um, Zug actually is, is quite fascinating the way that they're they're built. But the one thing that we have to acknowledge and consider with the European clubs in comparison to North America, and it's not necessarily good or bad, it, it is what it is. The European model does allow for more time to develop than in North America. Um, that having said that, the reason behind it is most of these European clubs, the Prolundas and the Okerits of the world, have a mandate that 50% of their first team has to be players that have come through their, their program. Uh, first team in, in Europe and you know, the SHL and Sweden, I mean, that is a, a very, very good league. So you're not seeing kids from U20 just jump into the, the first team. It's, it's a very rare situation. So some of them have to go to different clubs, play for a couple more years and then come back or, or however it, it works for them. So their development window is a little bit bigger in the sense that they're really looking to get a good, uh, a really developed, really good 23-year-old, maybe maybe a 20 to 23-year-old that can then fill a first-team role or play professionally in, in Europe or have a chance to, to come overseas and, and go to the NHL. Where in North America, we really built ourselves in our conversation. We were having this conversation amongst one of the minor hockey groups in, in our community not that long ago of, you know, your, your deadline, so to speak, to take the next level as a hockey player is, is 15, 16 years old when the OHL draft comes around in Ontario or the year before with the Western Hockey League. Um, you know, the, the scouts are, are looking at these kids at, at 14, 15 where in the European model and the way that the Europeans look at their players, they're not necessarily looking until 17, 18, 19, see what they've, what they've uncovered unless the, you know, it's a rare player. So which one do you think would have a better idea or, or a better overall plan for development? The 15 year old that's just trying to get 
into the OHL draft and trying to move on and, and trying to climb the ladder or, or the 19 year old that's been with the same program their entire junior career and, and getting those opportunities to, to develop those extra couple of years without that, that additional pressure. So that was one of the biggest takeaways comparing the two is, is that the Europeans do have a little more time in that, the way that they're built and North America, we seem like just like anything else, there's a bit more of a rush to, to get these kids to be uh, maybe not a finished product, but almost somebody else's project uh, to to get them drafted and, and move them along and get to say, hey, we, we got this kid drafted. So, um, yeah, I mean, territory is very different in there as well. There There is that sense of community and, and, and local um, development that all of the clubs in Europe I spoke to have a certain percentage of players that they want to get from their specific communities. Um, Switzerland is a, is a very different beast. And I, I hadn't known this until uh, having conversations with, uh, with Rito Clay, their, their general manager, that Sweden is almost divided as in 26 different, or Switzerland, I should say, but 26 different areas or states. So in a sense of like having Ohio uh, as part of Switzerland, Switzerland is not a very big country to begin with, so they're, they're developed and, and split up quite a bit. And, and each of those those segments or, or communities has different, as they were explaining, different hours for school. Um, so kids might start school at 9 o'clock in one area or 7 o'clock in another area or be done school a little bit later and a little bit earlier. There's also a cost to the school. So if you're trying to go to school outside of your community, there is a, an, almost an outsider's fee, for lack of a better term, to, to go to school if you're from uh, somewhere else in, in Switzerland, to go to uh, Zug, to go to school. It, it costs you as a family more to do that than it would be for you to just stay in your one area and, uh, and play there or uh, go to school there. So the challenge for them is they're getting a very small piece of a pretty small piece of the puzzle as it is and really have to focus their development on every single person that's in that coach's uh, or in that player's locker. Um, I think in North America, we're really quick to jump on the top 10% and, and start developing them and really pushing them and really turning them into something and getting to say that that player came out of our program, where in, in Europe and a lot of these countries, it's almost for survival's sake that you have to develop the kid who at 16 or 17 is not the fastest kid not a great offensive player, uh, you know, more of a, a fourth line kind of guy, because at some point when that kid's 20 or 21, if you've pushed a bunch of players to your first team or you push them to other pro programs or into the NHL, that 14 year or that 17 year old fourth line kid might be one of your local options that plays on your first team. And you're going to need him to be impactful because that first team is, is where these clubs make a lot of their money to, to take care of their programs. So they've got to worry about developing the, the Rasmus Dahlins of the world that are going to go uh, at the top of the NHL draft. And they also have to worry about the kid that's 17 that, that has something that they're pretty good at and, and not a whole lot around them because that kid very well could be um, looking to play pro hockey one day and then you may need somebody locally that, that does that. So there's there's a, a much wider range, I, I would expect, of what development looks like from that perspective as far as people, where I think in North America we can check off a few boxes and, and really push a certain type of player uh, to, to get to that next level. Europe, they've got to do it with everybody. 
just because there's there's such a big difference in in enrollment numbers and, and what they have available to them. Wonderful. Um, from all of that that we've talked about, let's let's start to maybe uh, pull this all together. What are some things that people, regardless of where they are in the world, um, can start to steal and implement in their own minor youth hockey system? Or I know we have uh, some coaches that even are in the NCAA. What, what are maybe some things that they can steal uh, to improve their player development and really, at the end of the day, uh, get more wins? Yeah, I mean, they've got to be clear with uh, what that philosophy looks like for their program. Uh, I think the clarity of that uh, and the way that that's communicated is is the start of basically everything you're trying to do. Um, you have to be sure on your philosophy. You have to know what you believe the best plan of development is. If you're looking at doing a long-term plan, uh, long-term development plan, you have to outline what that looks like because you'll have to explain that to kids, to parents especially, uh, and, and try to get them interested in the program. I think one of the things that was a huge takeaway from the European programs compared to uh, some of the, uh, the other programs that I, I'd spoken with is that concept of winning and is that concept of, of success. Um, with a couple of programs, I had to specifically ask them, when does winning start to matter? Because none of them talked about it. Not, not one of the, the coaches or, or in that development picture, not one of them talked about it. So, um, you know, you have to be clear of what that development model is going to be. And you have to stick to that model because your philosophy has to be bigger than your coaches and, and your players and, and your parents and, and all of that stuff as a board or as a, as an entire uh, organization, because that's, that's the, that's the boat that's going to carry you down the water. If, if you start changing things, if you know, you, you have a bad U nine year or U 10 year uh, and you want to start changing the way things are developed. I mean, changes is inevitable, but if you're switching the way that these kids are developing, now you're mixing messages now, one coach might be saying one thing and the next year, the other coach might be saying another. And, and that's when the wheels start to fall off. So the, the continuity of uh, and belief in the philosophy, I think, has to start with the coaches and the way that they communicate that plan and the way that the parents understand it as well. One great thing for these programs is the parents that uh, have their kids enrolled in this program. Uh, I've talked to a few of them uh, in, in Europe and, and a few of them in, in North America are crystal clear of what they're expecting as parents for their kid in that particular year or in that particular program. There are definitely parents that come down the way of, hey, my kid's not playing very much. Hey, why isn't my kid on the power play? Why isn't my kid playing with this kid? And, and so on and so forth. But the one nice thing for the coaches and, and the one nice thing for the, the administrators and, and such is it's not the U12 coach that, that has anything against your kid. It, it's not, uh, you know, this coach coaches differently and maybe next year they'll, they'll get the chance. It, everybody gets to stand behind the shield of this is how we develop players. You know, the coach has the same message to the parents. May not even have to have that conversation where there's no parents knocking on the coach's door after a game or, or wondering what's going on after a practice because the coach can then pass them to the executive board and the executive board is the one that developed this philosophy. I'm just coaching the philosophy. So there's, there's some protection in there for, for coaches, uh, the way that that's built out as well. But that philosophy has to be crystal clear, top to bottom, all the way through. 
again, I, I don't think that costs any money. I think that's really just making sure that you've got the right staff and, and the right people in place. Success is another part of that. And, and like I kind of alluded to in winning and, and you alluded to in the question, uh, what does success look like to your program? It's not right or wrong if you want to have the most banners uh, on the wall for your U9, U12, U14, U16 programs. There, there's nothing wrong with that. That's something that everybody can share that's tangible that you can show somebody when they walk into the arena. Does your program want to create or does it matter that your program creates the best U11 players in your state or in your province or, or in your country? Does it matter? That, that's your choice for, for some of the, you know, the long-term development plan. It doesn't matter at all. Those kids are nowhere near developed of, of what they're going to be because these kids are, we're trying to springboard these kids into the NHL or, or into their the first teams in, in Europe. If winning matters and that's how you sell your program, then that's what you have to do. You have to win. And, and sometimes the, the winning and a long-term development can coincide, but winning is normally, if, if you've been doing the development portion right, winning comes on its own. And it's not necessarily our development is because we win. We develop, and so we win when the the winning is is when the, you know when when it matters. Some of these European programs that they're they're not concerned about winning until maybe that U sixteen, sometimes even U eighteen level, uh, where you know I'm sure you've seen it as well, Greg. I, I think for the most part in in Ontario or Canada, some parts of the states as well. That that's lunacy to think that they don't necessarily need to win uh, the, the province or win the state or win this tournament or that tournament when they're they're 12 years old because, I mean, that's what we do. We win, right? We want to win. Everybody wants to feel winning. I had uh, one coach uh, with Frolunda that had said the best thing that these kids can experience is losing because no one likes that feeling. And now this is what, okay, we, we lost because we were not executing this, this, and this, however that conversation goes after the season. You can be sure as heck that those kids that don't like losing and want to experience the other side are motivated, competitive, and, and develop that already through their time that when they come back next year, they're going to be focused on these types of things that, that they did not execute properly to, to, to lose that year before. It, it builds the competitiveness and it builds the fire in some of these kids that, that they may not experience anywhere else. Sometimes you got to lose to win. Uh, I mean, I've always been a proponent of it. it you know, it, even though some of the, uh, you look at some of the NHL teams or, or some of these, uh, you know, I'm a big baseball fan. Look at some, uh, some of the baseball teams that have gone through the, the last little bit in the, in the playoffs and in the world series. I, I think losing the first time around is, is probably the best thing that, uh, some of these teams go through. You come back even better. You know the the ownership group or the the general manager goes and finds somebody, spends a little bit of money, changes the way you know Tampa Bay changed the way that their their bottom six were were built uh, in the playoffs, and, and then went to the three state uh, Stanley Cups after after uh, you know having some some uh, downtime in in the first round of the playoffs there against against your boys in Columbus. So. Um, it, it really changes uh, some some philosophies, it, it, that idea. And again, you, you have to ask yourself, and, and there's no right or wrong answer. It's, it's what you want for your program. If winning at U13 is is what matters and what sells your program, then then you have to win. If 
if it's not, if it's we're trying to develop the best kids for the draft or the best kids to be ready for their our first team, then that's what you got to do. And you got to do it better than anybody. I, I think the, the thing that really stuck out to me is uh, winning will happen on its own. Like if you just focus on the process rather than the result, you'll have a much better uh, time experience and be able to develop better. Um, you know, obviously we said you sometimes got to lose to win, but realistically it's going through that experience and understanding what it takes and understanding the process uh, is, is so critical because there, there is a process to all of this, right? Like uh, Sun Tzu, you know, every battle is won before it is fought. You know, it's all about the preparation and how do we prepare to win and let winning just take care of itself. Um, sure. You know, Bill, Bill Walsh, the famous yeah. NFL coach, you know, yeah. you know, uh, what is it? Scoreboard takes care of itself. Scoreboard takes care of itself. Yeah, it's true. And and uh, one the one caveat to that, the one thing I emphasize when I explain this uh, and what these conversations are like, like this is not uh, a world of you know we we just hope both teams have fun and uh, you know we're all winners and, and all of that. You know, I'm, I'm talking to Peter Forsberg, who's representing Zook. I'm, I'm talking to Yari Curry, who's uh, representing uh, Jokrit. I mean, these are some of the most decorated hockey players in in the world um olympic gold medals stanley cups like these people that that we talk to that run these programs the, they want to develop these players and the, the want to develop the players is a, is a bit more uh, you know if you were to put it in a graph is, is a little bit more than winning but i can promise you no one there wants to <laughs> no one wants to lose uh, those those guys that I mentioned there are probably some of the most successful players that have ever come out of Europe. Uh, they don't lose. And, and so their winning is in the development, like we said almost at the beginning of, of the conversation, getting those kids to stay with the program, stay with hockey, fall in love with the game, develop them as they go, and then turn around one day and, and hopefully be able to to share the success and, and whatever that success looks like winning u18s winning national championships in, in europe uh having players drafted in the nhl uh, your first team winning a championship with 50 percent of your players that have been developed throughout your program there's any number of different ways uh, of, of defining success and of the programs that we've looked at they've all had different ways of, of defining that success um, but ultimately they're they're all winning uh, end of the day, it's a win that Shattuck St. Mary's gets seven kids drafted in, in the NHL. Uh, it's a win that the Okanagan Hockey Academy is sending kids to, to D1 universities or, or CIS schools and, and giving them an opportunity to play hockey that way. You know, the, the Zug uh, program in, in Switzerland just won two Swiss championships back to back. Frölunda is Frölunda. Jurgarden is the most winning uh, program in, in Swedish hockey history. I mean, they all win. It all comes to winning uh, at some point. And but for them, it's the development that builds to where that success or where that winning is defined. Yeah, and, and I'm curious to to hear about the uh, Zug program because it's, it's a really interesting one. And uh, Ted Sukinen, Swikinen. 
I always butcher his last name. Uh, he's been on the podcast before, and I, I talked talk to him time to time, and it's it's fascinating what they're doing there. I'd love for you to maybe just give a, a quick 30-second uh, commercial of what they're building because I think it's it's relatively unique. Actually, we've had their head coach um, on the podcast as well because he's got yeah. some really interesting tactics. Like they're They're really trying to push the edge of what we can do in hockey at the highest level and the youngest levels. Yeah, it's it's fascinating, and, and it you know it, it starts and ends with that program with uh, Owen, which is uh, their their massive training facility uh, that was built there a, a number of years ago. It is world class, maybe the the best facility in the world uh, for sports science, and, and there's such an emphasis on sports science and in any any level um, with what they do there. They have Olympians from across Europe that, that train in this facility. Their hockey team has access to it all the time. They will break down sleep and eat and, and everything to do with, with how the player's physical body is built, how their mind works. Um, it's, it's an incredible facility. And then, uh, when I was going through the, uh, interview as, as if Sweden or Switzerland is around the corner. I was invited a few times by their, uh, uh, their owner and, uh, and general manager. And uh, you know, they said, I can tell you what this is like, but you've got to see it. it it's just, uh, it's, it's out of control. It's, it's the future of what they hope is not just in hockey. It's, it's in sport in general. And one of the big buy-ins and there is certainly a, a specific group of, you know, when you, when you come through Zug, uh, this is part of how it works now. We we break down what you eat in the morning, what you eat before games, when to eat after games, when to eat before games, how much sleep to get, when to rest. It's you know it's it's all in the system and all the tests that they run and and you know these these players are are almost voluntary guinea pigs in the sense that when you introduce this and this is how we're going to do, there's obviously some skepticism to it, but. When you see it working, man, you you think you've uh, landed on the moon. So they, this is just the start for them. Uh, the way that they explain uh, how this this OM uh, program is set up and, and how they run their hockey program, but uh, it's something that's really going to change the way uh, sport is is played. Yeah, it's fascinating because uh, I believe like Peter Forsberg's uh, sons are now there. Like mm -hmm. uh, Ted Soikinen is obviously one of the best in the world at yeah. player development. Like they've really got some unbelievable people to go along with the facility. So it's it's really cool project. And even being three down in the uh, the final this year, the first team pulls out league championship winning yeah. four in a row. Like absolutely fascinating. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, they they've they've really got something special there, uh, and and again, uh, their their general manager Rito Clay gets it, uh, and their uh, their entire entire program. Like you mentioned, Ted, but a great a great conversation with, and, and getting to talk to to Peter Forsberg a little bit about about what his involvement looks like with the with the club and and all that stuff too. I mean, they you know they all laugh at uh, what these kids are going through. If anything else, they're their concern or one of their concerns is how spoiled these kids are when they have to spit them out into the real world that they had all their meals paid for and, uh, and taken care of and prepared individually and you know all of this uh, this and that where they end up uh, leaving the program and, and playing somewhere else they're they're not uh, not living in the lap of luxury that, that they're used to but um, Zug is uh, is a fascinating case every, every 
article that we've done, every story we've done for, for hockey factories and the coaches site has kind of taken on its own uh, little world or its own little angle in it. Um, the one that was pretty obvious of which way we were going to be going was Zug because when we had that first conversation with uh, um, with, with Rito, uh, and he was showing us some of the pictures of the facility. I, I think we knew right there what was going to be front and center in the article. Yeah, unbelievable. But uh, you don't have to have that facility to take it to your back uh, backyard. We've talked about a lot of great things here today, and I appreciate uh, you sharing with us. It's always uh, amazing to see what others are doing. What can we take and execute? Because uh, at the end of the day, it's what can we actually execute on? The ideas are dime a dozen a lot of times, yeah. but yeah. what can we personally execute in our situation, in our clubs, uh, etc. So hopefully everyone has found something for this, Matt. Uh, this has absolutely been wonderful. Um, two minutes, floor is yours. Plug anything you want. Talk about anything you want. Uh, this is uh, it's been amazing. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks uh, again for having me on. It was great connecting with you at, uh, at TCS Live in, in the summer, and uh, hopefully you'll be uh, you'll be coming again uh, this year. I mean, uh, you know, I'll plug the the articles again. The series is called Hockey Factories. It's it's on the coachessite.com. Um, you can normally just Google that and, and click through some of those uh, stories. We we also did a podcast as well, a five episode series on on some of the audio clips from uh, the interviews that I was able to conduct through those, those articles. Um, I'm always thankful to Aaron and, uh, and the team at the coaches site to, to be lucky enough to, to get to tell some of these stories and, and meet some of the people that uh, I've been able to, to meet and, and communicate with and, and steal ideas from and, and all that. And I think that's the biggest takeaway. I, I, I would hope uh, that we've, we've been able to do here is, is to uh, identify that, that there's a number of, of, uh, different ways out there that you can make your program better instantly at any level and at no cost. And it's simply, you know, making sure that, that you, like you said, are executing that your, your plan is, is clear of what you want to, to develop from those players and that we're all in it for the right reasons and just trying to make this game better overall and, and the experience better for the kids so that they can, they can tell their, their kids about it and we can continue to grow this great game. That concludes this week's episode. Thanks for joining us here at Hockey IQ. If you haven't already, take a quick moment to hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and drop a review. If you want to be a great teammate, even recommend us to a friend. You can follow us at Hockey's Arsenal on Twitter and Instagram. Check out the website, hockeysarsenal.com, where you can subscribe to the weekly newsletter. You won't regret it. Catch you Buttes here next week for a brand new episode.